This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Bob Stallman, president of the American Farm Bureau Federation. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Charleston Orwick. Charleston Orwick, a full-service communication agency with a passion for every aspect of the food system. Learn more at charlestonorwig.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with American Farm Bureau Federation President Bob Stallman next. Passionate about agriculture, food, and strategic communications. Ready to protect and enhance your brand. Charleston Orwig is a full-service communication agency with a dedicated team of reputation management experts. Our passion for the food system is surpassed only by the success of our clients. For more about how we can help you, visit charlestonorwig.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. This week, our guest is the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Bob Stallman. The 2014 Agriculture Act was a hard-fought, much-debated piece of legislation. Now, with lower crop commodity prices and increased global demand, Stallman says it's up to producers to make the right choices with the new policy to protect their operations and for our government leadership to maintain and increase access to markets around the world. It's sort of a menu choice approach for farmers as to you know what they want to participate in with those decisions still to be uh, made. I think the uh, price levels that we have now will cause farmers to pay a whole lot closer attention to the impact of the decisions they have to make than perhaps maybe they would otherwise. I think the provisions there, uh, the expanded risk management provisions, the structure uh, of, the, of the new farm program will allow uh you know, us to, to weather the low prices. I mean, it's uh, uh, we're not at a crisis level yet, but I think these price levels do sort of indicate the need to have a robust farm policy to address the situation when the farmers get into these uh, conditions. Agriculture, a cyclical business. From your perspective and your time in leadership and on the farm, Bob, what do you expect? How do this period of time of even commodity prices below the cost of production, how's it, how does it affect the, the farmers and ranchers? across the country. Well, the first thing I'll tell you that uh, is that you know the effect, impact on commodities varies widely. Uh, let's look at the livestock industry and what the impact of the low feed prices is doing for the livestock industry, and that's all positive in a big way. And so it's that yin yang cyclical nature of agriculture that always comes into play. Uh, the good news is that even with the lower prices, there's a big harvest. You know, farmers handle low prices a whole lot better when they got high yields, and that's just the, the reality. And that does look like the situation over most of the country this year. So, you know, this is the typical cyclical nature of agriculture. Uh, You know, once again, the safety net programs in the the Farm Bill uh, help uh, kind of uh, flatten out those ups and downs uh, for farmers, appropriately so. Uh, and, you know, the other commodity sectors that maybe don't have those kind of programs, they're being impacted, in this case, positively by the uh, the extra production that we have, particularly in the feed grain industry. There is an election coming up. It's important for the country, and there is suggested to be a lame duck session coming for this Congress. Bob, what's on the Farm Bureau wish list uh, when Congress comes back together, regardless of the outcome of the election? Well, I'll have to tell you that the the wish list that everybody puts together for lame ducks and the 
expectations for you know really great things to happen in lame ducks generally are dashed when you get to the reality of the lame duck. Uh, but we do have uh, some things we'd like to see accomplished uh, before the end of the year. Probably key on that are a couple tax-related uh, issues, and that's being sure we preserve cash accounting, and then particularly the Section 179 bonus depreciation. That's extremely important for farmers and ranchers as they figure out how to manage their capital purchases, their equipment, you know, upgrading, and all of those things because it lets them uh, manage their cash flow a whole lot better. You know, we would like to see something done on immigration in a lame duck, and you know, every so often somebody talks about that. But that, given the politically sensitive nature of that, no matter how the election comes out, you still have the same political dynamics. And so, I'm not expecting anything there. It would be nice. Uh, I'm just hoping that we can address the immigration issue, particularly in the first part of the new Congress. President Obama said it's not if, but when he would act on immigration reform from the executive branch with or without Congress. Do you support him taking action on his own? Well, only to the extent that he has the authority to do so, which I presume would be the case. But... From a farm and agricultural perspective, we're not seeing the chance that any of those actions would actually really benefit uh, what we need in agriculture. Uh, when you look at the range of things he maybe could do, we're actually more concerned about some actions that would make it even more difficult uh, for agriculture, and we want to be uh, defensive about that. So uh, we're not placing a lot of hope on that. Uh, we just hope the situation is not made worse uh, if and when that occurs. The Farm Bureau was the first to challenge the waters of the U.S. rule released from the Environmental Protection Agency. Now this week, the Small Business Administration Office of Ag- Advocacy says the EPA should withdraw the rule, resubmit the plan, and review how it affects small business before they bring it back. And how do you respond? That's an excellent position. Because it's totally accurate. The Environmental Protection Agency did not carry out their responsibilities to engage with with small businesses to do that assessment. Now, they claim they did, but uh, guess what? I don't know where it happened. And so the reality is they didn't go through the regulatory process that they needed to in terms of doing the, the outreach and the assessments before they put the rules. So I was very pleased that the Small Business Administration Office of Advocacy uh, made, that, uh, made that statement and made that request because it certainly aligns with what, we're, what we've been saying. Farm Bureau's monikered the phrase, ditch the rule, but I would ask, if you're successful, if you're successful in EPA ditching the WOTUS rule, what then? Does there still need to be a definition? Well, it does, because we do need some, some clarity. But we need clarity uh, that is more consistent, we believe, with what the Supreme Court had said. And the last ruling uh, on waters of the U.S., uh, where uh, the it was a split decision and where the, uh, uh, the, the tie-breaking vote came, the justice basically said that, you know, you really have to have a significant nexus and if you have some kind of isolated or, or separated waters, uh, kind of given the impression that, you know, you, EPA cannot go too far, uh, you know, that's where we need the definition is what the significant nexus mean and how far does it reach. And what EPA has tried to say is that significant nexus is any connection. And that's the that's the uh, the failure we believe of the rule. Uh, we need to go back to looking at what is really significant as as opposed to the concept that a, a drop of rainwater comes down and it rolls downhill, and every place that it rolls across is subject to EPA jurisdiction. Several months ago, the EPA suggested under the Clean Water Act that they had the right to require a discharge permit from a livestock operation in a, even in a normal 
rainfall event. Uh, American Farm Bureau and West Virginia Farm Bureau joined uh, farmer Lois Alt in challenging the EPA's decision. Talk about that saga and where it stands right now. Well, it was a classic case of EPA overreach when they tried to assess fines for Lois Alt and her family's operation. You know, the agricultural stormwater exemption was put in there by Congress for a reason. And what EPA was trying to do was basically say that uh, eh, that doesn't matter. Uh, well, we we helped uh, the Alts along with the uh, West Virginia Farm Bureau take this case to federal court. The federal judge agreed completely with our position. Uh, and what happened then, uh, EPA and some environmental groups were first going to appeal, but now those entities, EPA and the environmental groups, have withdrawn their appeal. And the reason is very simple. They knew they were going to lose on appeal, and when you get an appellate court decision, that carries more weight in restricting what EPA can do than just having a federal uh, district court decision. And, you know, they basically took a cowardly way out, so they're not interested in having, uh, you know, the their laws defined by our court system, which is the way the system of governance works in this country. They're trying to avoid the impact of what that federal judge said, which we believe was a correct ruling. And, you know, we'll have other opportunities, I presume, to litigate. But in the meantime, EPA is saying, we're just going to ignore that ruling. That was a ruling about one farmer. We're going to ignore that and just go Go ahead with what we've been doing. And what they've been doing, we believe, exceeds their authority under the law. You expect to see it again? Well, not that particular case. We expect to see the same issue pop up over and over again. Let's shift to trade talking about issues over and over again. The Trans-Pacific Partnership would uh, combine a group of countries and be about 40% of the gross domestic product of the world. The Japanese thus far have really been reluctant to open their borders, to open their markets specifically for U.S. agriculture products. Uh, Bob, how long can in negotiations you maintain to allow the Japanese to hold that mark, and, and what do you do if they don't? Well, first let me say that limiting global access to food, which is what Japan and, frankly, other countries have tried to do, too, is like limiting access to the Internet. It's not good for people, it's not good for freedom, and it is not realistic in this world that we live in today. And to answer your question about how long can you go, we'll go as long as we need to, uh, before we'll support an agreement uh, that does not provide us the additional market access that we're seeking. The Japanese know they have to open up their markets. They know they have to reform their agricultural support systems. Uh, you know, and, it's, and I grant it, it's difficult for them politically. But if they want to engage as a full partner in the TPP, they have to put those issues on the table. They cannot exclude them, and they have to create greater opening to their markets for agricultural products. In the same respect, you have the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership and discussions even going on over the past few days. Uh, the European Union um, keeping barriers up in the name of their science with regard to our products, uh, their definition of environmental sustainability – uh, as a block to keeping U.S. product out. How do we handle those negotiations? Well, you have to hang tough. And I've made that case to uh, many of the, uh, the European Union officials. Uh, you know, they've come in and told me everything they can't do, and everything they can't do basically means they want to keep doing what they've been doing to restrict access from our products, whether they use the precautionary principle or whether they just say, uh, politically, this is too difficult. 
you know, which th- those aren't trade rules, uh, you know, and they uh, want to have a trade agreement where you have trade rules in place that govern the flow of product from one country to the other. And so as they sit there and tell me, well, we can't do anything on these issues, my response to them is, well, fine, uh, because at the end of the day, you need U.S. agriculture support to get an agreement passed to Congress. And if there's nothing in there that's going to, uh, you know, open up markets and address these issues, we have absolutely no reason to support it. There are some calling for science-based standards. The question then would be who's science? Well, that's right. Uh, and it, but the but the deal is is that the European Union, take GMOs for example, their own science says they're safe. But they've made a conscious political decision not to even follow their own procedures in the approval of those products. And it's purely political. And they'll admit in a private room they'll admit it's purely political. Well, whether we're talking about the Trans-Pacific Partnership or the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership, it sounds to me like we're in the same situation that we had under the GATT trade negotiations, under the Doha development round. There are clearly some countries that want access to our market but are not willing to give up access to their own. Well, I'm going to suggest that the TPP negotiations and the TTIP negotiations are a little bit different than the morass we found ourselves in uh, with the Doha negotiations in July of 2008 and which continue to today. You have a lot of countries in the WTO that really don't want trade opening agreements. They're a member of the WTO, but they really don't want trade opening agreements. They want to use it like a development agency, like an international development agency to provide benefits to them. At least with TTIP and TPP, the countries involved really do want to have an agreement. So that's a big difference, you know, between uh, the WTO and these regional multilateral agreements. Uh, and so that's good. That's good news. But at the same, uh, by the same token, we can't give countries a pass who may have difficulties uh, putting issues on the table, putting products on the table, and opening up their market access uh, in these regional negotiations. These agreements can be very good for those countries involved, but you know, it, it has to be about opening markets and not just protecting what you have. Bob, over the past 30 days or so, we've seen ethanol prices drop about 28 uh, percent at the end of last week. They settled uh, at a 153 a gallon for ethanol. You've got the governor's biofuel coalition asking the Obama administration uh, to restore their proposed cuts to the RFS. We're almost to the end of the calendar year, and we still don't have an announcement from the EPA with regard to the volumetric output of renewable fuels for this calendar year. What's that done to the industry? Uh, How has that affected members of Farm Bureau? Well, it's created a lot of uncertainty, obviously. Uh, until just recently, anyway, given the respective prices uh, of oil and ethanol and plus the, uh, uh, the volume of corn that's being produced, uh, the decision by EPA in the short term probably wasn't going to have that much impact. But longer term, it'll have a major impact. And so our position has been in Farm Bureau that we need to maintain those uh, levels in the RFS. We've got a good industry that's developed. It's one that's important in terms of increasing demand for our agricultural products. But it's also important in terms of uh, you know, producing fuels, uh, oxygenates uh, particularly, that can be used then in, in our supply system and we don't have to use as, uh, as much in the way of foreign sources of, of energy. And that's becoming a mantra given the other activities that are going on uh, in the country with increasing energy supplies. So our, our position is let's not reduce it. Let's, uh, you know, keep moving forward and, uh, you know, try to maintain this industry that we think is very important to the U.S. in agriculture. Well, Bob, this segment is called Open Mic. Your members are in the middle of a harvest right now. You're in front of an election, and you're not too many days away from your national meeting. Uh, the microphone's yours. 
Well, we're looking forward to being out in San Diego this year. That's a venue we have not been in for a long time. We're getting a lot of interest from our membership. Uh, and so I think we're going to have a really great annual convention. Uh, you know, we'll have issues to discuss, as we always do, uh, and they'll range the gamut from uh, environmental issues to beef checkoff to you know, farm build, trade issues, so on and so forth, and we'll we'll have a uh, very productive time uh, determining what our policy positions are going to be uh, for the, the coming year in 2015. So we're looking forward to it, and obviously as an organization, we're in major planning mode for that right now. Our thanks to Bob Stallman, president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Charleston Orwick. Charleston Orwig, a full-service communication agency with a passion for every aspect of the food system. Learn more at charlestonorwig.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.